0: This morning we're going to consider a very important topic and a very important issue of life for a child of God, and that is the hearts of worship, hearts that are committed to worship. I believe in our day and time that there's some confusion what worship is, and as we look into God's Word, and I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2, as we consider the Magi or the wise men, that we would consider their hearts were committed to this goal of worshiping he who was born King of the Jews, and that you and I can find at least five principles, and I know there's many more principles that you and I can apply to our lives uh, surrounding worship, but here that we'll find five wonderful principles and so this morning is my it is my desire that we would worship God together that we would start to define worship better in our own hearts and lives and that we would connect it to how richly we've been blessed in the last week in the messages that have been shared from this area I think in particular on Christmas Eve as as Eric shared with us, uh, the truths that are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, which says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, Christmas, we celebrate, we give gifts, we have a, a great time, and sometimes it's a time of, of, of heartache, a time of thing, but yet we can always, always see that in Christ, God gave us a truly, an indescribable gift in His Son. And the wonder of that, because He came, and as the last song and the last two songs really emphasized, the fact that He came to die on the cross, because we could not be set free from sin. Christ, God, had to do it for us, and we had to walk by faith in accepting that indescribable gift that He has given us in Christ alone. And then the weekend before, just a week ago, Kent shared uh, the wonder of the fatherhood of God. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we would read, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Uh, as Kent shared, you know, that's a radical thought that you and I could be adopted into the family of God. Yeah, you know, that's just a radical thought. You know, I I ponder that and I consider that. And as we consider his fatherhood and his love and his grace and mercy, and we consider the indescribable gift of of what we have in Christ, the wonder of all that love, grace, and mercy is poured out. The psalmist put it this way. David, in Psalm 29, verse 2, it said, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So what does that look like for you and I? How does that come to fruition in our hearts and lives? Sometimes my fear is that in our culture today, we think that that worship stopped when the music stopped. And I want you to know that, that Billy and his dad, what they did was just set the table. I mean, they, they, they in the songs and the singing and as we sing praise drew us right to the very, very altar of our great God and introduced us to a time to where we could humbly bow before Him and lift our voices and sing in praise. And now we continue to worship Him in word as well. Remember the woman at the well? How, how, how Jesus instructed her, you must worship me in spirit and in And the wonder of that great love, wanting to worship that ascribe worth back to the one who has given us everything so we can have this dynamic relationship with the true and holy creator of the universe. God indeed is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for your word. We rejoice in the wonder of your great love. Father, as we gather here this morning, Father, I pray that whatever is on our hearts, whether it's heaviness whether it's a burden, whether it's pain, sorrow, whether it's sin. Father, that you and you alone, through the power of your spirit and the power of your word, would sweep that away so that we can look fully at you and your glory. Father, we ask for your hand of blessing during this time and I plead before your throne that your spirit would restrain the evil one from snatching away one word of truth from anybody's heart here today and that our hearts would be open to all that you have to share with us. Thank you again for the wonders of salvation in Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to pick up the story of the Magi or the wise men this morning. Excuse me. When we think about hearts committed to worship, and as we look at these men, uh, we're going to have to hit a couple of thoughts that um, it's a much debated passage in many areas. One of them is the fact that, were there three? We really don't know. It's just a plural noun. We know that there are three gifts, and so the surmising is that there's three guys. And I want us to know that they were high political offices that that they were, and so probably they came with this caravan, this entourage of people with them uh, as they come and as they come on the scene. Uh, I want us to also realize that the star that is guiding them, there's been much debate about that, and I want to put that to rest this morning, uh, if you allow me to. Uh, there shouldn't be any debate about it. The bottom line it's a God thing. God designed and, and prepared the way for this magnificent light to be a part of bringing these men so that they could worship the true and living God. The question is, is what can we take from this passage and apply to our hearts and lives? And the first thing that I see is that these guys came with an expectant heart. Look at the first couple of verses. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, came from the east, came to Jerusalem, from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Expectation. I do not know what your expectation was this morning when you came and you battled the cold to come here. Yeah, you know, I do not know that, but God knows your expectation, my expectation of what we want when we come to a church service corporately. But I want us to understand something that as we come and as we gather together, you and I are in his presence. Amen. And the wonder of his great love. And we are here to ascribe worth. We're to sing. We're to look into this, this, this passage of Scripture and allow it to impact our lives and to grow. And, and I want you to hear this. As I studied and as I considered this passage, I, I want you to know this is something that I myself yearn to grow in because I know worship isn't relegated to an hour and 15 minutes on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. Worship ought to be a part of your life and my life that is consumed in every waking moment. Uh, you and I might sit back and say, how, how does that do, you know, and how does that come about? You know, there was a day in time when we used to wash dishes by hand. You know, and and, uh, rather than put them in a machine and push a button, uh, and sometimes put in soap if you're a guy. Uh, But, uh, you know, and and you you have that thing. But the question came uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s. Somebody asked me and goes, well, is that worship for my children to wash dishes? And I said, yes. It ought to be. God has called us to do whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. And so it is a form of worship. Life ought to be that which. And so for me, I yearn to grow in it. It is something that I want to be more consistent in. It's something I want to be more intentional in. And so my expectation needs to be real. Their expectation, their question is profound. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? The reality is we know he has been born. Where is he? We are here. And we have come to worship him. This star has led us here. They had a walk that was an intentional walk. They left their home knowing this truth, coming to see the one. They had a walk of faith in the midst of that. You know, sometimes for you and I, a life can be... Uh, crippling at times because of the chaos or the hurt and pain around us with the loss of a loved one or or, the diagnosis of a doctor. And I want us to see that we can, in the midst of that, have this expectation that God will meet with us in a particular wonderful way to intentionally just worship him, seeking him to allow this relationship with God our Father to grow in a wonderful way. I don't know about you, but I, I yearn to grow in my relationship with God, allow it to come to fruition more and more and more because I still fail. And that drives me bonkers, knowing the truth. And wanting to walk with Him. Come with an expectation every Sunday to hear His voice some way tangibly through the power of His Spirit. How I pray you came expectantly that way today. How I pray that tomorrow morning when you get up on Monday morning, and as Sean already expressed for us pastors, it's a day off, but yet to wake up expectant to have a day to where the day is filled with hearing and listening to the voice of God, whether it's through his word or whether it's through fellowship with friends and family, but wanting to live in that expectation all the time to see him work in our lives. The second thought of, that I see is found in verses 3 through 8. These guys also had unwavering hearts no matter what happened. Notice verse 3 and follow along as I read down through verse 8. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. that's an interesting thought. Here he is, a Roman king, and he all of a sudden gets troubled because somebody says, where is he born king of the Jews? And I want you to know that Herod, history tells us through Josephus and everybody, this guy was filled with paranoia. He was so paranoid. This guy, he did not want to have anybody overthrown. Therefore, he became a vicious and violent king as well. Anybody that he just thought might step into a place of confronting him, he would eliminate. And it didn't matter how they were related to him or what nationality they were. He was that brutal and that violent, and we would see that reality at the end of this chapter. And so he's troubled, Uh uh-oh, who is this born king of the Jews? But notice the end of the verse as well and all Jerusalem with him. Now I'm I'm convinced of this in my heart that that the Jewish people there weren't so upset over the fact that there was one born king of the Jews. They were upset over the fact and fearful of what's this guy going to do now? How is he going to respond to this truth? And so, because they have seen him react so violently and so so crazy it so many times that all of Jerusalem... Now, I want you to think about the fact that here you have this caravan of people, visitors, and all this hubbub is going on inside the city. It's crazy. And yet, they don't leave. They've asked a question, and they want an answer. Notice what Herod does. Excuse me, I'm going... Notice what happens. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. He knew that they weren't born there. But as we look at the scribes and the priests, you know, I I see this this heart of apathy. I, I see this this heart that that is so far removed because they haven't heard, they haven't got it yet that Christ was to be born. Though they knew the scriptures, notice how they answered him in verse 5. And so they said to him, knowing the scriptures, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of it you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now look at that, you know, a king of the Jews, and now now God is wonderfully also describing Christ as being a shepherd. You know, and so when we start looking at John chapter 8, 9, and 10, you know, and especially when we get to chapter 10, where he proclaims that he is the shepherd, you know, the, the good shepherd, The wonder of it. And they knew this. They knew that it had been prophesied before and that it would come to reality. And this is a quote from Micah chapter 5. Notice what Herod does. Verse 7. And when he had secretly called the wise men... He determined from them what time the star appeared. All right, guys, when did you start this journey? When, when did this all start to take place? How, how did you come to embark on this journey? Give me a time frame of what's going on. And Notice how it ends there, verse 8. And he, and he said to them, to bethlehem and said go and search carefully for the ch- young child and when you have found him bring back word to me that i may come and worship him also you talk about a deceitful heart filled up with hypocrisy he had no intention of worshiping the young child christ the lord he had nothing but evil intent And in the midst of all this chaos and everything that's going on, I see guys that are determined, truly unwavering in their walk to allow God, the God of all hope, to be the focus of their lives. You know, I, I, I want us all to understand that, you know, sometimes the circumstances of life can be difficult, but you and I should not be overwhelmed by them to where we get distracted from the fact that God is still the God of hope who loves you and I immensely. Don't you love Romans chapter 8? To me, that's a profound chapter of Scripture. How Paul describes how the Spirit makes intercession for us. How Paul describes that Christ himself makes intercession for us. How, how Paul, through the power of the Spirit, ends, and I'll paraphrase the final verse of the chapter where he says, and I want you to know this, there is absolutely, positively, categorically nothing ever created, ever existed, that will ever exist, that can possibly ever separate you and I from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That ought to rise a a sense of hope and excitement in your heart and my heart and our lives so that even when the storms of life come, and they will come, that our hope in God will not be shaken because our roots are founded deep in him and we're still going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Wanting him to be glorified here and now. Wanting to walk in and experience the love of God fully in our life. Moment by moment. Worship can't be confined to a moment in time. Worship has to be a genuine, genuine, wonderful position of our heart in relationship with the God who gives us salvation. It has to be where you and I recognize him moment by moment by day and day by day and he and they have this unwavering heart no matter the circumstances, no matter the hubbub, they were going to continue on. The third aspect of a heart that's committed to worship is joy. Look at verses 9 and 10. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which had been seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The wonder of having joy in our heart. Ah, God is still in this. God is still going to take us so that we can meet he who has been born king of the Jews. And we're often, we're often traveling again, embarking on this journey anew afresh, being assured that God is in it. And their hearts were filled with joy. In our previous ministry, we had a, had a gal that loved to do pottery, and she, uh, she created a whole creche scene, and, and probably the largest were the wise men or the magi, and they, they had to be 13 to 15 inches tall, and, and, and she meticulously painted these things. And as she battled her diabetes later in life, she gave the whole thing to the church. And, and so during the Christmas season, we had to put it out in a foyer some way and, and, and put it all together. And, um, you know, and as they donated it, they just put it all on the top of a desk and we'd put a, a nice thing under it. But after thinking about it and looking at this particular passage of Scripture, we, we decided to put the three wise men over here and a bright light in between the Christ scene, wanting us to understand that when Christ was born, uh, they were barely embarking on their journey. They were just just coming. And so, when you look at a Christ scene, you know, I, I want us to know that they don't worship Him at the cave where He was born, they worship Him in a home, some days, weeks, probably even months later. And the wonder that they had, and they're filled with joy. I think in our day and time, we we can get happiness and joy confused. You know, happiness might be that the Broncos win for some of you. Um, I'm not a Broncos fan. No, I'm... uh, You know, but that might be happiness for some of you. Yeah. But joy comes again from this dynamic relationship from the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you and I. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what's the second one? Joy. What's the third one? What's the third characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Yeah. You can say it louder. On three, share with me the first three characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. Those are peace. Those are profound things that we can have in Christ. Profound. The love that we get from God, we can have channeled through us that we can love others. Matter of fact, Christ himself said this, by this the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Christ himself in John's gospel said, my joy I give unto you. And he circled that around the fact that he was going to send his spirit to indwell us. And you and I, in the calamity of life, you and I always desire to have that peace that passes all understanding to where people can look at us in the midst of the chaos and the hurt and the pain, and they can say, how can you do that? And we can say it because God loves me, and I'm his child. And by his grace and mercy, I can walk. Their hearts were filled with joy because again they saw that God's hand was at work in the circumstances. Have you ever had one of those God moments where it had to be God? Just had to be God. It, it couldn't have been anything else. I pray so. When our eldest daughter was teaching down in Gallipolis, which is in southern Ohio, about an hour and a half uh, south of Columbus Uh, she decided to come home for a weekend Uh, and our eldest daughter could have a little bit of a lead foot Um, I know that none of you have any of that problem I know that she got it directly from dad uh, but you know, and she was coming home. We told her um, not to press through that if she got tired because after a long day of teaching, she was going to climb in the car, get the car ready, and come. Uh, and we told her if she got tired, stop. you know words of wisdom from parents. Now well, about one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, we got the call that you didn't want to get. Uh, and it happened to be her voice. Dad, I've had a bad accident. Not with any other car, but she realized she had fallen asleep or she had fallen asleep and had this bad accident and Let me describe the accident to you a little bit. She was on seventeen, which is now eighty six which is a, and she was in a very desolate area of of this stretch of road where there 's no place to get off, and there 's no place where there 's any houses or anything like that. And as she fell asleep, and she was going quickly, uh, she went off into the median, and, and the, uh, the investigators thought that as she went off into the median that her right front tire hit one of those reflectors and just blew the tire immediately, which probably startled her. Um, it had been raining a lot in, the, in upstate New York at that time, and so the median was really muddy, and deep, and so that tire just dug into the ground and uh, she decided to try to crank it back on the road uh, real quick. And that wheel caught 18 inches of macadam and just catapulted her car end over end. And they expected that uh, it had turned over at least three times that way and about four or five times side by side by side. And when her car came to rest, it was right in the middle of the highway, upside down. After it stopped spinning like a top, pointed in the right direction, she was quite sure with what little she could see out. And she go, she had to get her bearings and wake up and get out from the, her seat belt, which was a praise that she had her seat belt on. And she realized she couldn't get out front Side And then she noticed a little bitty crack in the back window. Uh, all the windows were gone, but the roof was just crushed down. And she thought she could crawl through that. And fortunately, she was a tiny gal, and she crawled through that. And as she got out and stood behind the car, there were three guys in suits in a nice car. And they said, we've already called the first responders. Do you want to call your parents? And she's wondering, how did you guys get here so fast? You know, where are you going? Oh, we're going to Boston. Two o'clock in the morning, three guys in suits and a good car, and they're going to Boston. Go figure. They hand her the phone. She calls us. That's the phone call we got. Gave us an idea because the guys gave her an idea where she was. She really didn't know where she was on 17. And uh, and so I said, we'll be right there. In the meantime, we, we drive down, and as we're driving down, she goes, as, as we met her, hugged and cried and all those kinds of things, we, we said, where did you get the phone? Now, I, wa- I want you to know... This, this is the early '90s. Cell phones were track phones, kind of thing, not like the technology of today. And uh, well, three guys stopped up, but she goes, you know, the weirdest thing. After I handed the phone back, I saw this trucker pull off the side of the road and he lit a flare and and he's running towards me and he goes, are you okay, are you okay? And she goes, yes. Do you want me to call you know, and and let people know? And and she goes, no, I've already done that. The guys, and he goes, what guys? Now, when we looked at the car, Diane and I both began crying because, and even the guy who ran the, said, we have no idea how your daughter escaped injury and I want you to know for us it's a God thing it's a God moment God sent people here in the midst of this their joy and we broke down in tears of joy and I want you to know that in my heart I, I said this Oh, the next day as we're looking at the car and trying to get some of her personal effects out I said God you're so good God, you're so good. And immediately, God asked me this question, just a a voice saying, would I be less good if I had decided she needed to be home with me? And I cried even deeper, no, God, you're good all the time. The wonder of his love, and we can see in their hearts and lives, they are seeking God's. They have this keen anticipation of what's going on. They understand that God knows their every need and that they wanted to get there to worship this this one who is king of the Jews. They were relying on his sufficiency. They are going to be satisfied in him alone. The third aspect of a committed, or fourth aspect of a committed heart to worship, I believe, is found in the beginning of verse eleven. And when they had come into the house, they saw a young chi- the young child and Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Uh, consider that. You know, I just had had Silas up here, and as well as uh, uh, I forget his name. <laughs> And the wonder of Lincoln, you know, and the reality of... And they get down and worship. Here they are, people high up in the government where they're from, well-respected, and they get down and worship. They fall down prostrate. When I read this again and, and studied it, I began to ponder in my heart, how often do I really bow before God, the Holy Creator of the universe? How often do I really... In humility, worship him. Humbly praising him for all that he's given. These guys get it. They have a reverent adoration because they know they are in his presence in the presence of majesty and holiness within this child and the wonder of his majestic love. I'm sure... Like Mary pondering, I'm sure they pondered some things and yet they fell down and they worshiped him. Their expectation being fulfilled. Their unwavering hearts no matter what happened. The joy of seeing God in the midst of it. And now a humility before God. bowing our hearts, bowing our knees, how does that get seen in your life and my life? You know, I I look at this passage and I, you know, when I think about being more committed myself and where it's seen, I, I wonder how my worship reflects on the staff and impacts the staff here at RMC. How does my worship impact you folks day by day when I get to see you, when you come through and say hi. How does my worship impact those who come and ask for advice? Is my worship and my relationship with him evident in my life to recognize that wherever we are, we are in his presence and the reality of the fact that he has declared he will never leave us nor forsake us genuinely real in your life and my life. I'll think of the woman at the well again and Christ explaining to her that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Folks, that means you and I cannot grieve or quench the spirit of God if we're going to worship God. That means you and I cannot walk in unforgiveness. We cannot walk in a root of bitterness. We cannot walk in open sin and somehow think that we worship God. It is impossible because we have grieved the Spirit of God in such a way that our worship is not filled with awe of who He is. That's a convicting thought, folks. And if you and I are going to worship in truth, that means we must be surrounded by his love letter to us. We must allow this book to be something that we delight in. Delight in such a way as that we're going to allow it to radically change our hearts and lives. And I know that his his word is meant to be and is a sharp two-edged sword that brings conviction in our lives and really divides as the writer of Hebrews would declare, divides what we want to do in a self-centered way versus what God wants to do in your heart and life. That means transformation. That means since we are the new creation in Christ, we are going to be transformed through the renewing of our heart and our mind, not pressed into the mold of this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Worshiping in spirit and truth, it takes genuine humility and honesty before the true and living God of the universe. And none of us can escape that. None of us can say that we still are worshiping God without that activity in our lives. Notice the end Verse 11, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented the gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three precious gifts. You know, they want to say that the three guys presenting were Melkon, Balsar, and Gaspar. And I want you to know, I don't have any clue what their names were, and neither did the person who wrote that. But that's what folklore gives us. But the reality is they brought three profound, wonderful gifts. And I believe that only God could have laid it on their hearts to bring them. Gold, which was the gift of the times that you gave the king. He is Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He indeed was born to be king of the Jews. And we know that in the time ahead, we will see him reign as king. During the millennium period. And I don't know about you. I have no clue what I'm going to be doing. I just know we're going to be serving some way. And it's going to be an exciting time to watch what happens and be a part of that. He will reign. He is and needs to be king of your life and my life. And they offer very sacrificially this gold, which is a provision. The second gift that they give is frankincense. And frankincense during that time was was used specifically for worshiping God. And so in giving the frankincense, they're recognizing he is the God-man. He indeed is deity, deity. He alone was the one that was 100% God, 100% man that had a body prepared for him to die on the cross so that your sin and my sin could be placed in that body and so he could suffer the wrath and curse of God that you and I justly deserve so you and I could be set free and have this wonderful relationship with God the Father. And I want us to know that it doesn't matter what we've done in this life. It doesn't matter what sin that we've had. God's word says that whosoever believes on him should never perish. His great indescribable gift, it is Christ the Lord. And if you're here today and you think you're unworthy of God's love and grace, I want you to know that's a lie that's been planted in your head by Satan himself and that God yearns. For our a relationship with you. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord and your worship isn't so, so healthy right now. And I want you to know, come back. His grace and mercy and love is always available. His forgiveness is real. And to reestablish that dynamic relationship that we have in Christ. The last thing is the myrrh. And myrrh was only used in preparing a body for burial. That was its main use at the time. Really looking at Christ's humanity and preparing him for his death. These three gifts not only are truly emblematic of the dynamic of Jesus Christ our Lord being born in a manger. But it is also a great provision for God, because notice how it follows. And then they, verse 12, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they, the wise men, depart to their own country another way. And now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until they bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be spoken, might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. God provided. Joseph and Mary were extremely poor, very poor. And if you see what God, what gifts they gave at at, uh, uh, both the circumcision as well as Mary's cleansing, just the two turtle doves, we see they were very, very poor. And so God now gave them something so that they could depart, so they could flee, so that Herod could do his violence and his ugly and protect That was God's provision for them. Christ is God's provision for you and I so you and I can worship the true living holy creator of the universe through the righteousness of Christ. I don't know where you are. In a moment I'm going to pray and Billy and his dad Will are going to come out. We'll have some prayer teams on the side. But if you're battling, I want you to know that Christ is there for you. Maybe you've never trusted him as Savior today. Today could be the day of your salvation. Don't leave here without coming and talking to us. Maybe you've allowed the chaos of life to overflow. And you just want to get back to worshiping God Wonderfully and gloriously and joyfully, knowing that you're worshiping Him in spirit and truth again. Come forward. Let us pray with you. Let's stand and pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for how you've used these wise men to really portray what a heart of worship is. The expectation that is needed. The unwavering heart that is needed. The joy that it brings. The humility we must have. And the perception. We must walk in day by day. Father, I pray for the folks here. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who's never trusted Christ as Savior, that today they would call out and say, God, forgive me my sins. And Jesus, I know that you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I know that you are Savior. Please forgive me. And I trust you alone today as my Savior. Father, for the rest wherever their walk is in the journey of life, Father, I pray that our our worship indeed would be sweet in your sight, that you indeed would be glorified, and that we could sing hallelujah every moment, for it's in your Son's name we pray.